When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, you guys? Sean Ross Sapp here for the Fightful.com podcast. September 11th edition, our first of two technically on September 11th, since we will be covering Backlash on Sunday evening. This show brought to you by DraftBeast.com. Go to DraftBeast.com for the newest, the best in fantasy sports. Some pretty awesome games over at DraftBeast.com. Goon games where you can and pick uh, the most penalized players. There are also games where you pick uh, the worst team possible, which is much more difficult than you would expect. Although something tells me that that just happens by default to, to Showdown Joe. Speaking of Showdown Joe, he's here. Fresh off of Titan FC last night. Showdown Joe, you got to take in UFC 203. Yeah, well, wasn't that an interesting event? And uh, what's up, my man, Sean? What's up to everybody tuned in right now? Uh, I apologize ahead of time if my energy is really, really low. Obviously, I took a, uh, a very quick flight after Titan FC. Got back to the hotel at 2 a.m. I was in the lobby by 4.30 a.m. And I'm on a flight at 7 a.m. Got home, took a quick nap, and then bang, before you know it, it's UFC 203. And we saw a fair amount of uh, interesting fights, crazy uh, in-cage antics, CM Punk, uh, crazy main event, insane, I don't know, what do you call that, co-main event, and all that other stuff. So, But uh, I will let you carry the show, Sean. Well, that might be a problem, Joe, because as you all can see, my environment is a little bit different right now. About two hours before UFC 203 kicked off, we had a power outage at my home. I had to drive a half an hour to a family member's house, watch the show, enjoyed it with my cousin. Uh, also, this is where I'm doing the podcast from, so I have another half an hour drive after this show. That should be fun, but there is no shortage of things to talk about on this show, Joe. And we will go in reverse order. I think I think that's fair. But if I had to na- – you remember how they used to name UFC shows? Yeah. This one would be UFC 203 Outclassed. <laughs> I, can see that I like it. I like it. It makes total sense. Yeah. That main event, though, wow, this was something special for Cleveland. Stipe Miocic knocked out Alistair Overeem first round, and what a first round that was same boat as I that every single time that these guys swung their arms at each other you're like this is it no this is it no this is it yeah pretty much it's heavyweights right it's heavyweights and they push so much mass and you know when those guys land it's it's generally an ugly situation but when you're talking about you know arguably the number one in the world it's Stipe Miocic versus Overeem who you know has a track record of being arguably the best striker in, in heavyweight history uh, winning all those belts with Dream and K1 and Strike Force and stuff like that. He's got the ability to knock out anybody at any time. We saw that when he landed that left. Uh, although his game plan was, I don't, I don't know what, what he was doing there. I mean, he was jogging, he was running away. And you know, and I heard Rogan say he's trying to conserve his energy. I, I can buy that for sure. But if he had actually put it together, he'd have probably won this fight. Well, there were some interesting aspects of this fight. <laughs> Overeem landed big first, scooted Stipe Miocic. I thought it was almost a flash knockout for a second. I thought that Miocic got blasted, maybe like, you know, saw stars and that was it. Overeem tried to lock on a guillotine in which after the fight, he claimed that Miocic tapped. Now, granted, Overeem went out cold. So he probably thought a lot of things. He probably thought he was on a spaceship going to Jupiter, too. There are a lot of things that he probably thought in that moment. Joe Rogan went all DVD bonus features on him and switched angles up two or three times and was like, no, 
there was no tap. <laughs> you take a look, and right then he's like, oh, yeah, we'll get the truck to get it right now. No, no pressure on the production team in the truck to hurry up and find that because I'm standing here with a guy that just claimed, uh, you know, just lost and then his opponent tapped out. But good on the production team, especially those guys in the truck, because I know exactly what that's like. We had the same, not the same example yesterday in Titan, but I know what it's like for those guys in the truck to try and get anything. Uh, but they did pull it up. They put it up on the big screen, and Rogan and Overeem, um, you know, Arm in arm, got to watch it together a few times from a few different angles, and there was no tap. Uh, so Overeem, uh, you know, not only did he get knocked out, now he's eating crow uh, in front of uh, you know thousands of people in an arena and millions of people watching worldwide. Um, I, I, I can understand exactly what you're saying. He got his bell rung, uh, so his noggin and his thought pattern, uh, you know, wasn't probably proficient as it should be. Uh, but I could definitely understand that because you, you've rolled before, you've you've submitted guys before, and you know sometimes. You kind of felt the tap, and the guy's like, no, no, I'm good, I'm good. I'm like, I thought you just tapped on my thigh there. Well, okay, we'll keep going. Th- there are many times when I gave some sneaky taps. I will admit I am a cheater. <laughs> I will do whatever it takes to best someone in training. Uh, it doesn't happen a lot. But, but yeah, there, there's a lot uh, There's a lot that could have that happened in Overeem's mind, but they didn't happen. They absolutely didn't. We, we saw it from every angle. We saw Miocic use his wrestling and recover, get side control. And really, Overeem wanted no, no parts of Miocic on the ground. Uh, they got back up to the feet, and they started to have a few exchanges. And boy, these exchanges were even. Both men looked like they could crumble with each strike. But then Miocic started to pull, pull ahead a little bit more. He would back Overeem up against the cage and really unload. I was waiting for him to, to attack the body. That didn't happen as much as I thought. But then uh, Miocic ends up on top of Overeem, and even with a minute left, you, you know that could be it. And it looked like Overeem was just trying to weather the storm, Joe, but when your head gets bounced off the canvas by a steep Miocic punch from the top, you're not going to weather many storms that way. No, not with that kind of power. I mean, that guy's an absolute beast. And the way he, you know, at first when he was when he was laying down the ground and pound, I thought to myself, man, you bet you've got to separate a bit. You're getting a little bit more space. The hammer fist will work because you are a heavyweight. But if you get a bit more space, uh, and Overeem wasn't really controlling with the both underhooks, uh, wasn't keeping um, Miocic close enough. So then I guess you see Miocic stepping away, and then when he starts landing those rights, and it was, that was it. It was night out. That you just you saw the thunder. And the one thing that I that kind of blew me away just in a personal perspective is I've interviewed both guys and I've stood next to both guys. Um, I always thought Overeem was way bigger than, than Miocic. And now I look close and you look at Miocic, he was so much bigger uh, than Overeem. And it really just, again, we talk about this almost every show, Sean, it's my five foot seven uh, complex where I think I'm as tall as everybody, but I don't remember Miocic being that huge and that, that, that much of a massive human being, especially in comparison uh, to Overeem, but uh, you just saw that power. You saw that power that he possesses, and you know if he get, if he lands any of that leather, it's lights out for anybody in that division. By the way, guys, we will have updates from the UFC 203 post-fight press conference as we go. Speaking of, Miocic has said backstage that he would rather fight in Brazil again than to fight at home and said that everything that came with it was a distraction. I could see that, Joe. I could see that being being very, very – very distracting. I mean, you're doing this for your city, not just any city, Joe. You're doing this for Cleveland, which has a rich history in losing. Uh, as I wrote in the Elevator article, which we will talk about later, anything bad that can happen in Cleveland generally does happen in Cleveland. Well, yeah. Well, the one thing about fighting at home, Rich Franklin and George St. Pierre told me the exact same things. They would never want to fight at home ever again. If they had the choice, they would fight elsewhere. Uh, I, my, the only taste I've ever had of something similar to that and not fighting was when the UFC had the, uh, the Roger Center show you know, with 55,000 people in there. I mean, anybody and everybody that I ever knew in my life was asking for tickets uh, to this massive UFC event. Uh, George would always say he couldn't stand fighting in Montreal because anybody and everybody he ever knew in his life was looking for tickets and coming out of the woodworks, uh, coming out from the bowels. It's just like it's a lot of pressure. You know, and I think you saw that a bit with uh, Jessica I tonight. Uh, and the same thing Stipe says it afterwards. He'd rather fight away from home so he can focus on fighting and not have to worry about looking at his phone every two seconds and seeing uh, an email or a tweet 
or not even a tweet or even a text or, hey, or the phone ring and, hey, remember me from, you know, kindergarten school? We did this and, you know, you and I were fighting or we, we played basketball or baseball or something like that. So there's a lot of pressure. Um, you know, in terms of Cleveland's history, that's another story altogether. But uh, I think Toronto's up there right now. We've got a pretty much uh, we got a losing track record in a lot of things, especially with my oh my Jays actually won today, so we're good about that. My Toronto Maple Leafs are finally turning the corner. Well, they, but they won that, back-to-back titles in the '90s. That was 20-something years ago, but still true. We're not yeah. talking like this. He's like like Cleveland. Now, after the fight, Overeem did did say the tap. Do you think he was? Do you think he really thought there was a tap, or do you think he was maybe putting on a little bit? Do you think maybe that obviously the fact that he went out cold had something to do with it? I think it's a combination of both, Sean. I think yeah, he was out cold, his bell was rung, but B, he really believed it. I'm sure he really believed it. For him to actually say that, he probably believed it, and he's like, you know what? Yeah, it happened. And then when you see it on the big screen that it didn't happen, you're like, oh boy, uh, could we end this interview right now? So uh, we had a very interesting fight in Fabricio Verdum and Travis Brown. I thought the first round was very fun. Fabricio Verdum did one of the craziest ass kicks I have ever seen in my entire life, Joe. He flew through the air and just drilled Travis Brown in the face. By the way, he completely outclassed Travis Brown. The scorecard does not tell the tale of the fight. Verdum really stepped off the gas. Edmund Tverdian. <laughs> I know this. I know. I, I was just waiting for you to oh, mention it. God. This, this is much more about him than it is about the actual fight. All of this couldn't have happened to a nicer guy than Edmund Tverdian. Now, I have friends that have trained under him. Virtually everything you hear, in my opinion, is true. That, that's my opinion on the guy. I think that Ronda Rousey would be much better at an alpha male, at a Kings MMA, at a, um, I don't know, a 24-hour fitness? What, what, what they got there in L.A.? What, what's the place that where they, they, they have donuts at the front desk? What's that place? Called? Planet Fitness. There we go. She'd be better off at a Planet Fitness uh, if she found Dr. Doolittle and he was able to get her to train with some animals. That might be better. Edmund Tverdian was like crying, lost his voice, all kinds of stuff. And then after this fight, he ran his mouth to Verdum, and Verdum kicked him. <laughs> Verdum kicked him. Verdum's out there doing God's work. I, you know what? I've had a few different scenarios where I've spoken to Edmund, and they've been positive, Sean. I'm not going to lie to you. They've been positive. I don't know him, and I don't know the story. Like, you know the stories about – uh, the various people that have trained with him and stuff like that. So I can't speak on, on any, anything negative, but when you see some of the stuff that you see, even going back to the ultimate fighter, when Ronda Rousey was coaching opposite Misha Tate and some of the stuff they showed, and I get that's all editing and, and stuff like that. But even tonight, like I, I, I don't understand the logic behind yelling at Fabrizio Verdum or, or getting into some sort of posturing situation or, or, or commentating on anything. Like, I mean, just what are you doing? I don't get it. Like it, it makes absolutely no sense to do something like that. And Verdum isn't the type of guy that's going to back down, especially if he doesn't like the guy. Remember, look where Verdum sure. trains. I mean, he's in Cali. He, he knows what's up. There's, there's, there's a bit of beef there, I'm sure, somewhere uh, that sort of, I guess, spilled over into the octagon. But, I mean, what are you doing? I mean, what are you, you can't be yelling at you know, the former heavyweight champion of the world, even though your fighter lost. I mean, just, just stay quiet. Let the decision, you know, let, let Buffer announce a decision and just walk away, man. So that wasn't even the weirdest thing that happened in this fight. Not by a long shot. In the first round, there was an exchange, and Travis Brown turned away. He dislocated his finger. Now, Joe, I've dislocated my finger in the middle of a pro wrestling match. But there's a difference here, Joe. In a pro wrestling match, you're working with the other person in the ring. Travis Brown ain't working with Fabricio Verdum. So therefore, when Fabricio Verdum says, "Uh uh-uh, I'm going to punch you in the face. I'm going to chase you down. It is well within his right to do so. Now, I don't want to pick on Copeland, but he refs in my area a lot. Some questionable calls, to say the least. I, some of my teammates have been, have been a part of them. Now, that being said, with the amount of fights that he has to cover on a regional basis, some of those are going to happen. There are times when this guy has to, has to ref – 11, 12 fights in a night. Sometimes that, you know, 
the law of averages tells you that's going to happen. But tonight, if Travis Brown can't continue because his finger's dislocated, that's it. It sucks. It would suck for the audience, but that's it. You don't get a timeout to do that. Now, respect to him for popping the finger back in and going back at it, but and also Verdum attacking his fingers immediately afterwards. Uh, that sick bastard. But, <laughs> <laughs> but that's Fabricio Verdum, and that's him trying to win a fight. What did you think of this whole situation? It was really weird to me. Well, it was, it was wrong on so many levels. Number one, when Travis Brown steps away and says, oh, my finger, my finger, my finger, fight over. You put your hands up as a referee, the fight's over. Uh, there's, no, there's no questions in, in, in the rules and the unified rules of MMA. It, it explicitly says so. You can't. Let me interrupt you. Let me interrupt you. Imagine if CM Punk would have been like, time out, time out, my throat, my throat, my throat. I'm getting choked. Stop. Hold on for a second. My throat. Well, right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's MMA and, and the strike that, that, or the, the whatever happened of um, Brown's finger came from a strike. Right, yeah. it came from a strike. It was Verdum throwing the overhand, and 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 Brown had his hands out, bang, and it dislocated his finger. Well, you just verbally submitted is exactly what you basically did. But um, you know, the referee, like you know, your buddy, <laughs> should have went in there and gave it the old uh uh-uh, uh, it's done. Thanks for calling. Well, this whole melee happens in there, basically just comes to a halt. What's happening? Doctor comes in, and then that's when I guess uh, Brown realized, you know what, uh, I'm about to lose this fight. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. But then, uh, you know, he does come back. So kudos to Travis for doing that because I'm sure he was in a lot of pain. But the performance tonight from Travis Brown was not something I had expected. I figured he has um, – you, know, you don't get many opportunities in life. I know it's the heavyweight division um, to get second or third chances uh, to have another run uh, at a potential title shot or, or, or a run to be at least close enough to get a title shot. This was it for him, man. He had a chance against Fabrizio Verdum uh, to really make a statement. And the performance was just like, oh, my goodness, what's happening here? And he didn't really pick it up till what, about 30 seconds left in the fight? So it, it's tough to say. And Verdun looked really out of shape, in my opinion. He looked like he had a gut there. Uh, it didn't look uh, like he let's, was – look- Let's be honest. USADA's done a number on a few of these guys. <laughs> I didn't want to say But I'll it. tell you what. You said it. It has not done a number on the referee, Gary Copeland. Yeah, he's pretty jacked. He's, he's pretty jacked, yeah. dude. He's pretty built there. Oh, uh, Yeah. Yeah, let's maybe get some testing there. Um, <laughs> Travis Brown, I just think he can't do it at that top level. He, he, he's always the bride. You know, he's not even a bridesmaid. He's more like an usher in a wedding. He's not, he's not a groomsman. He's not going to get a but title why, shot. Though? I, don't under, I don't understand, Sean. I don't understand why when he fights these guys – it's a completely different situation. Like, there can't be fear. There's not fear there. You're a professional fighter. You're in there. And sometimes you just go for broke. And he's done it before. I mean, you saw what happened in his fight oh, to, versus Overeem. He got his butt handed to, to be, him. Yeah, to be honest, I think if Barnett and Overeem were to fight him 10 times, each one of them would probably win that fight. I think Barnett and Overeem would win those fights seven or eight times out of 10. Uh, Overeem had a real problem at that point of his career on stepping off the gas, not stepping off the gas pedal, emptying his gas tank and not having anything left. Barnett, I don't think would make that mistake of leaving his head where he left it. And that's really what he made his career on because it wasn't the win over Matt Mitrione. That's not that big of a win. Brendan Schaub literally didn't, didn't just have one foot out the door. He was as good as gone. He was, he was ready to be a podcaster after that. Other than that, you know, the last few years since 2014 rolled over, not he hasn't beat anybody else. He's lost to Velazquez, Verdum, Arlovsky, Verdum again. I just don't think he can get it done at that level. Now, there, like I said, there are far worse things than being a heavyweight gatekeeper. There's plenty of money to be made there. But I'm, hmm. I'm Sean, I'm, I'm 100% convinced it's mental. It has to be mental uh, to get in there and not execute what you've been training for for you know, potentially 10 to 12 weeks, it's mental. It's got to be mental to me. I, I, I'm, I've, I've hung out with Travis on numerous occasions and didn't, from, from Denver to L.A. to Toronto, um, Toronto a bunch of times when he came down here for signings. Just, just a great dude, uh, super, super athletic, um, bad dude when he wants to be. We were in Albuquerque when he was still with uh, Jackson Winklejohn. Uh, we went to one of those uh, 
all you guys in the States have these amazing barbecue restaurants like on every corner. We don't have them oh, here. Yeah. So any chance, yeah, any chance I can get down there uh, to Texas or anywhere in general, I'll tell these barbecue places, I'm like, I'm going there Thursday, going there Thursday, Friday morning, Friday for lunch. And I'm there, I have, we're having uh, me and my uh, associate producer, camera guy, Travis and um, Anthony Hamilton, just grubbing away, eating away. And we're just talking about fights. And he's talking about the mental area about getting into the zone. And I'm like, I'm watching it tonight, and I'm like, what, what, what just happened here? Why does this yeah. keep happening to you when you're fighting bigger dudes or guys with bigger names? I'll tell you why. It's probably because of his shitty camp. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> you never anyway. That no, I won't because I've seen it. I've seen it firsthand, and I don't want to single out people because there are some people, like I said, that have trained there that I, I love personally and that I respect personally. And that I have physically trained with, and then I see them go there, and I see them regress, and that shouldn't happen. That bad. That bad. That bad. That bad. Okay, I'll say it like this. And I hate that I'm singling out Jessamine Duke because she is one of the best humans I know. She really is an angel of a person. I trained with her when she was in Kentucky, and oh boy, she was putting a hurting on some people. She went to Glendale, and if you remember in that Betch Cohea fight. You could see the fact that she had trained with Rousey. Her like going into that fight, I was like, I really hope Jessamine stays out of the clinch because she needs to use her range. She fought tie fights a lot and used her range and was real good, real good. The people out here were real good about it. The coaches on Tough were real good about it. And then she got in the clinch and she was hitting throws. Like you could tell she had trained with Ronda Rousey. But then there was no more range in any of her fights since then. I mean, any of her fights since then. And like I said, not trying to pick on her, but I mean, if they follow the same protocol as Ronda Rousey, maybe they're not doing a lot of live sparring. I don't know. We talked about how Donald Cerrone and Robbie Lawler are at that level and don't necessarily need it anymore. Uh, the, the folks at Glendale are not at that level. They are not at that level. And like I said, it, I, I think a lot of people regress there. Jake Ellenberger, uh, what happened when he left? I mean, it's yeah, is I that a coincidence? I, I don't think it's a coincidence. Um, also, he's he's a pretty terrible human by by all accounts. So uh, Edmund, not Jake Ellenberger. Jake Ellenberger seems like a great guy, but either way, I, I'm done ranting about them. Oh no, I'm not done ranting about them. You will never be done ranting about that because I have a great idea, Joe. Oh no, here we go. <laughs> CM Punk versus Edmund Tverdian. Interesting. Okay. Would you watch that fight? Would you watch that fight? I would. I would. I would watch that fight. I would watch that fight so hard. CM Punk, that's, that's the reason everybody's watching this show right now. I want your thoughts beginning to end of the fight, his output, his attitude, everything, and then we'll get into Gaul. First things first, um... Well, first, I, I just want to say I want to give him props for getting in there and, and being able to, to step in there and, and, you know, try out mixed martial arts on a massive stage like that. The absolute, you know, it's either it's, it's risk or reward. You know, you, you just you, you either fail miserably uh, or not, not really fail miserably. You could potentially fail miserably or you can just, you know, be on top of that mountain like he was saying and get the highest of highs or somewhere in the middle. Well, whatever. And I tweeted out whatever the worst nightmare he, he have, may have ever had. Uh, about mixed martial arts happened to him tonight. And for him to to come out and – Mickey Gall's a brown belt, okay? The, the last thing I – Sorry? He's trained for eight years. Yeah, okay. So the last thing I would want to do if I'm fighting or competing against a brown belt, and I'm only – I guess we're going to say Punk's a, a white belt, maybe a blue belt – is I don't want that guy touching me. I don't want him anywhere near me. I don't want any sort of clinch. I don't want. I'm going to watch where I am around the cage. This some bitch is going to be a stand up fight. Okay, I'm going to pick my shots. I'm going to work my muay thai. I'm going to work my boxing. Uh, if I if he's got a longer reach than me, I'm going to have to get inside and get out. Get inside and get out. I'm going to pick this guy apart for 15 minutes until an opportunity presents itself for me to go in for the finish. What I'm not going to do is just walk into a takedown. And that's exactly what CM Punk did. He walked into a takedown. He got taken down to the ground. And I'm sure when you're training for a, for a guy that's really good on the ground, 
Plan B now is to get this fight as quickly as I can back to my feet. Well, he wasn't able to do that because Mickey Gall did whatever he wanted to do and was able to quickly get into a dominant position eventually. You know, and he landed some monstrous punches. CM Punk could have tapped out the strikes if he wanted to, but he didn't. He showed heart and he showed, you know, I'm not getting out of here. I got to figure this out, figure this out. Well, every time he tried to do it, Mickey Gall was two or three steps ahead, ended up getting his back, slapping in that rear naked choke. Um, you know, a, a very disappointing performance for CM Punk, I'm sure. Um, I, I don't know his mental state. I'm sure somewhere in there he's probably really, really dejected. Maybe in there he's like, you know what? I did it. I tried it. I failed. Who cares? I did it. Most people will never say that they could do it. So I'll give him kudos on that. But, you know, I'm not saying the game plan was wrong because maybe the game plan was correct. It was CM Punk's execution right off the top, right at the very beginning of the fight. That was basically the beginning of the end for his, for his debut in mixed martial arts. I think you said it. Uh, there's not really a lot more I can add to that. I was impressed that given Gall's experience, especially being a brown belt, that Punk lasted as long as he did. I was shocked. This is, and you know, there's a lot of first-time MMA fans that watch. I can't convey to you the difference in the amount of training that these two had. Mickey Gall said he's been training there since he was 16 years old. That's eight years. Eight years. He's a brown belt. Another thing to remember, this was his fifth fight between amateur and pro. That's, that's a lot compared to zero. If I were to if, – if CM Punk were not CM Punk and he were just some dude, I would say this is malpractice, promotional malpractice to – have booked an O and O guy against a guy with this level of experience in Gaul, because that's a valid argument. Very valid argument. They didn't do CM Punk any favors with this matchup, and people were like, "Oh, well." There were people acting like he should be fighting a UFC level guy. No, he didn't need to be fighting a UFC level guy. There are hundreds of people on that UFC roster, and there are probably maybe hundreds that don't belong there. Even there are a lot, none to the level of CM Punk. CM Punk does not belong in the UFC. But here's the thing. The UFC is a business. He sells pay-per-views. He creates buzz. I know. I see the web traffic. It absolutely happens. There is no mandation like <laughs> there's no mandatory experience level. It's not. So what, what's to keep him out? There's nothing. If people want to watch him fight, people will watch him fight. And we, we've talked about this before, people saying, well, he took somebody's spot. No, not really. And generally, the reception that I've seen among fighters is almost unanimously positive among those at the top levels of the sport. It's those guys who are kind of bitter, have a chip on their shoulder, not too happy, haven't maybe reached that top level of success that are a little pissy about it. And that's fine. They have every right to be pissy about it. The UFC, like I said, did not do Punk any favors with this matchup. Um, I, when I started out, even a year in, I trained with Sean Asher, who was a Bellator fighter. I think he's right now eleven and two uh, as a pro. There was such a feeling of hopelessness there, like being so new and training with somebody who was so good and so much better. And, that, and at the time, he was just a, a few years in, three years in maybe. CM Punk has been training with a great camp for about a year, a little over a year if you take out the time with injuries. He looked in great shape compared to his WWE days. But, man, that, that matchup, damn. If I were the UFC, I would have put him on – put him in the cage with someone way closer to his experience level. Way, way, way closer to his experience level. Yeah, that, that's really what I take away from it. Respect to him for doing it. He does not belong there in the UFC. But um, there are some quotes from this press conference that are going on right now, by the way. He said that he's going to keep doing this. He does not know if it'll be in the UFC. He might get cut, but he hopes he doesn't. And his initial venture in the MMA was going to be at the lowest level, but the UFC presented, it, presented itself. Joe, do you agree that... He didn't do anything wrong. He just accepted a, a invitation given to him. I've agreed from day one. I've agreed from day one. If it's something that's going to be offered, do it. There's, I mean, the, the other side of the coin that you and I both know is he could have said no and said, no, I'll, I'll work my way up. Let me get a few fights in. 
to see if I can actually do this. Then I'll come up to the UFC. But it was his decision. He decided to do it and, and all the power to him. I mean, from, from day one, it was a massive, massive risk for him. Um, he accepted it. Uh, he showed up tonight, um, stepped in there and under those bright lights and, and for hundreds of thousands of people, millions probably watching, um, got his butt handed to him, you know, but he did it. So kudos to him. You know, we'll see what he does from here, uh, where he competes, where he wants to compete. Um, you know, he could show up in Titan, who knows? Um, but it, it, it all depends on what he wants to do. And if he wants to continue to pursue it, he's not young, he's not in his twenties. Um, he's in his, you know, I guess mid to late thirties. So if he's going to do it, he better do it soon. We'll see what his medical suspension is going to be. But uh, like I said, he took a lot of shots. He took some hard shots from Mickey Gall before getting choked out. So yeah, we'll see what, what the future holds for CM Punk, but I can't see it, uh, you know, happening again in the UFC anytime soon. If, if, if ever again, I think that they'll give him another fight one more fight. I think they'll do it with someone closer to his experience level as it should have been in the first place. He should have fought maybe another O and O maybe a one and O, but I don't know now on the other side. Well, and I'll say this, a lot of people, a lot of people in the wrestling community trolling him. Hey guys, if CM Punk calls Vince McMahon tomorrow, he's in the main event of WrestleMania next year. He gets whatever he wants out of wrestling, no matter what. That's, that's how it happens. Oh, absolutely, without a doubt. He versus Triple H would be the main event of next year's WrestleMania, which is funny because him being booked against Triple H was one of the reasons he walked out because he didn't think that that was a match that he needed. But with the history, with the realness behind it, with the podcast he did, if he were to call WWE right now and say, I want back, and it was he versus Triple H with everybody knowing that history, main event of WrestleMania, which is – one of the things he wanted all along, he never got that, even though he did deserve it. Absolutely, because WWE loves that. That's the weird thing, that they, they make themselves Hollywood's bitch. They really do. If The Rock comes back, he's the main event. If, if Brock Lesnar comes back, and he's not Hollywood, you know what I mean. They're, yep, 100%. Yep. A, a celebrity has never lost at WrestleMania. Did you know that? No, I didn't. Ten to, 10 to 15 matches they've had, and no celebrity or athlete has ever lost outside of a battle royal like 20 years ago. Snooki won at WrestleMania. Won at WrestleMania. Floyd Mayweather won at WrestleMania. Uh, Maria Menounos won a match at WrestleMania, Joe. That's what they do. They, they bastardize their own company, and they sacrifice the, their own guys who work full-time to put over people who don't work full-time because they're considered special. It's weird. That's why this this Thursday, I'm going to make a case why Matt Riddle should be the next person to beat Brock Lesnar on WWE TV. I'm going to do wow. that, and people are going to, people are going to buy it. Hey, that's not, that's not a new argument. There's a lot of people. Matt Riddle is that good at wrestling, Joe. He's that good at wrestling. But um, we'll talk more about CM Punk as news filters in. I mean – that's really what people came here to see. But I got to say this about Mickey Gall. He knew exactly what he was going to do after this fight. And the kid is very smart. He called out Sage Northcutt. I'll say this. A winnable fight for him. An attainable a fi- a fight for him. A poss- that, that, that would be the headline of Fox Sports card. That could be a good fight. And you know what? That's probably a fight where he gets cheered heavily. Did Sage Northcutt announce he's going back to welterweight? No, but I'm sure, you know, for that fight, that's that's probably the biggest fight either one of them is going to get right now. Well, when Mickey Gall said that, the first thing I did is I looked to my right and I looked to my left to think, am I the only one in this room that doesn't that thinks this really doesn't make any sense? Because I, I, I feel like I'm alone. Because even when I'm looking at some of the stuff online, I'm like, they're in two different weight classes. You just called out a guy who's in a who's smaller than you is in a smaller weight class. I don't I don't see the logic. I've, I've obviously missed something because I'm not understanding where this logic is. Mickey Gall fights at 170. They're Sage both North they're both from, the show. They're both from the, the looking for a fight show. Uh, yes. Sage Northcutt may yeah. be a little more experienced than him. Let me let me check his record. Eight and one. But so to I me, mean, it was just sim- yeah. So you're sacrificing experience for for size, sure. I mean, Sage Northcutt, he's not a small guy. He's six feet tall. They're, they're very similar in dimensions, at least that. 
like I said, that would headline a Fox Sports One card. I, 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 you can't convince me. No one's going to convince so. me just yet. I need a lot more. I, I don't see it. It's, it's, it'd be like, I don't know. How do I say this? I mean, it's not like it's Robbie Lawler calling out Cowboy Cerrone who fought at 155 forever and is now uh, a stud at welterweight. It just, it's, I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't really make sense to me. It's like, you know, so, I don't know. Tyron Woodley fa- calling out Eddie Alvarez. Ah, I disagree. I disagree. Sage Northcutt has fought, or he's fought at that weight before this year. And now he didn't look great, but he blamed it on, yeah. he blamed it on sickness. And I think for this, this fight, I think this is a really good fight, especially for somebody who is three and zero in Mickey Gall, because you're very limited in what you can do with him, unless you're putting him up against one of those tough China mules, one of those guys. Uh, I think they can do a lot with Mickey Gall now because of what he just did to CM Punk. He's got a nice little name. Uh, he, he clearly broke the record for f bombs in a post fight interview. Oh, sure. Did. Uh, wait, sure wait, 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 wait. <laughs> the Diaz brothers exist. No, now he may I, he. He may have broken the record for ones that got through on air. Okay. But that's what I was saying. Even in my tweet, I said, you know, Mickey Gall clearly broke, has to have broken some F-bomb record in a post-fight interview with the Diaz brothers literally going, what, you know, WTF right now. Yes. Like, what's, what's just happening here? So, but uh, I think he's got, you know, he's going to have, he's going to have to continue to sort of build, keep this hype around him. But anytime the UFC, remember, they're a mass marketing machine. Anytime Mickey Gall goes into a fight, he's the guy that beats CM Punk sure is are you familiar with this elevator situation before ufc 203 uh, a little bit there are a bunch of them that got caught in the elevator i don't know the whole situation with cb dalloway but i saw the oh, video oh. with uh, uri in there and all that stuff so we're gonna we're gonna talk about that so drive <laughs> faber for reach over doom race fo cb dalloway tons of people i'm talking like 15 20 people on this elevator big ass elevators i'm not a big city guy joe Never been on an elevator that big. Either way, it crashed. The elevator, the snape, the cable snapped. They dropped a little bit. Everything seemed fine. Then at midnight or so, it revealed that CB Dalloway is out of his fight with Francis Marbarosa. Let me ask you: Did anybody else get hurt in that, or just the guy who was on the chopping block with three straight losses and wanted to show money? Continue the conspiracy. I got it. I hear you. Just saying. Yep. Just saying. Yeah, you're right. You're right because it didn't make sense to me when I was looking at the video. I'm like, but these guys are fighting tonight. What's happening? What did I miss? Was I on a plane that when this happened? Like, I mean, I know I was super busy last night. You know, doing the doing the play by play, and this this is when it all went down. Uh, so I'm not able to watch. I got to focus on what's happening in the cage and making sure I get my my reads right. But none of this made sense to me. And we got to this when the card started. I'm like, why are Yancey Medeiros and Sean Spencer fighting right now? Where's these other two fights? Yeah, and Donald Cerrone is crazy. He's crazy. <laughs> I saw that. I saw because that. Because he offered to fight Francis Barbarosa at 205 pounds, and he was serious. Now, keep in mind, this was just uh, an hour after he got his UFC 205 fight with Robbie Lawler pulled, which is a bummer. That hurts. That's a heartbreaker. It was too good to be true. As a society, we didn't deserve it, and we didn't get it. Joe, offer your condolences to the world regarding this fight. I refuse to read. I I, I couldn't read that information as I was reading it, and it kept. I was getting close to the word "canceled." I said, "I said I can't. I can't. I can't deal with this. This is not the way it's supposed to happen." We were so looking forward to this clash of the titans greek god fight and we don't get it now now we don't get it i i, I don't i don't think it's right but i do get the fact that donald cerrone texted dana white and said i'll be more than happy to fight <laughs> on 18 second notice i mean the guy's a legit crazy dude man he's just absolutely hilarious fearless to say the least doesn't care who he fights and you know he told us a hundred times in person payday man I just want to get paid i want to make as much money as i can it's conor mcgregor isn't the first person to say that Donald Cerrone isn't the first one either, but these are guys that realize I get paid only if I fight. Yeah, I cash sponsor checks. Yeah, I can do this. Yeah, I can do that. But I love fighting, and I want to fight, and I'll do it right now. It'll take me two minutes to head over to a store and buy a pair of shorts. No, wait. Reebok has my shorts, okay? The cut men have the tape. You guys have the gloves. I just got to show up. I'm ready. Let's do it. That's Donald Cerrone, man. Gall is at the the post-fight presser right now. He says that CM Punk came in too hot, came in too aggressive, 
and he said that he knew he would beat him in either spot. And uh, he meant to say that he wanted to fight Sage Northcutt at MSG because he's a Jersey boy. And he says he wants to become the UFC champion. Uh, he said that privilege rubbed people the wrong way, but I think Punk learned that, or Punk earned that privilege because of what he did in another industry. He said that he thinks Punk should take some time. I think there's money to be made on him. I think he'll have another UFC fight. Says Punk is still not a fighter, or he would have shook my hand. He doesn't have the respect yet. He'll get that. Lots of stuff. Um, he says that he thinks the North Cut fight makes a lot of sense because both of them have questions, or both have questions surrounding them. Yeah, what, what do you think about some of his post-fight comments? He says he's ready for the UFC killers now. Well, settle down, bud. Settle down. You just beat CM yeah, Punk. Let's, let's just settle let's down. Down a tad. Yeah, he's got to relax a little bit, and don't don't kid yourself. He could be also uh, planting a seed for a rematch with CM Punk one day. So he's just, uh, you know, he's, he's being smart about what he's saying. I'm not buying this Sage Northcutt thing. It's, it's going to take a while for me to be convinced about this fight, MSG or not. So uh, I don't think that's relevant. But um, the whole, you know, he wouldn't shake his hand at the Waynes and situation and stuff like that. I mean, apparently they were cool afterwards. Uh, they were cool in the cage afterwards. So I don't know where Mickey's going with that. But uh, Mickey's going to go on a little bit of a rant here. I think he's, he's, uh, he's doing his own little uh, Conor McGregor, Chael Sonnen sort of, I'm going to be this guy here. And this is how I'm going to talk. This is how I'm going to be. This is what I'm going to say. I'm going to keep having all this sort of controversy or these these cameras and lights on me. So I get that. I think that's really smart of him to do. Um, but you're not convincing me about the Sage Northcutt fight. It's, it's I, I, I'm not buying it. <sighs> you're missing out, Joe. <laughs> I don't think I am. Jimmy Rivera didn't miss out tonight. He's a player at Bantamweight now. We both predicted this. A lot of people don't know who Jimmy Rivera is, but Uriah, he, he, he dominated Uriah Faber, Joe. For those that don't know who Jimmy Rivera was, they sure as hell do now. He just took out Uriah Faber, who was ranked, what, number three in the division, number two in the division, if I'm not mistaken, before this fight. You think um, Rivera gets in the top five now? He should. I think so. I absolutely think Dude. And I'm, I'm, I'm sitting and I'm looking at his stance, and I completely agree with what Uriah was trying to do. He's like, I can't get – it's like a dog, you know, picture a Rottweiler on a leash, okay, trying to bite you, okay? You've got to – how far does that leash go, right? If I'm going to play with this dog and try and get – this dog's just rabbit. That's what Jimmy Rivera was like. He was just sitting there in that stance. You come anywhere close to me, I'm going to make you pay. And if you move your leg this way, I'm chopping your leg. You want to exchange with me, I'm throwing hooks, I'm throwing straight bombs, and I'm going to shook you off me like you're absolutely nothing. And anytime Uriah tried to even get close, he took a beating. It's, it's almost like Rivera had like a spider sense, and he could tell when Faber was putting his weight on his front leg. Because every time Faber did, boy, he paid for it. He got chopped down every single time. This bantamweight division may be my favorite in the UFC right now. You have Dominic Cruz as the champion. You have former champions, Dillashaw, Faber. Uh, Burrell's not there anymore, so forget him. You have Brian Caraway, who, if he can get him to fight somebody, then, then he's a good fight. But then Lineker, Garbrandt, Sterling, McDonald, Dodson. You still have Almeida there. Rivera, who's going to jump into the top ten. Ooh, there are 10 guys that are just unbelievable. Oh, by the way, Justin Scoggins is joining that division too. Jeez, what a division. Jesus Christ. Like, <laughs> unbelievable. I, oh, Sun Sal too. I agree. I agree. It's, it's a fantastic division. But if, let's go back to Uriah for one second. Um, did they confirm at the post-fight press conference that he did break his right hand? Because that happened really, really fast. And as soon as you see this, Sean, you've seen it before. When guys are doing whatever they're doing, when yeah. you start seeing this, it's like, oh, boy, you are oh, in big trouble. Buddy, and it's early. I got to wear one of these right now. I got to wear one oh, of these right no now. Way. Messed up my hand and my wrist. Um, but, yeah, I, I'll have to ask you. By the way, they're doing the, the, the presser at 203, like the one at 202 where they do them individually, which I love, by the way. It's it's just – I can't believe they didn't do that long ago. But – do you think this is it for Uriah Faber as a top five fighter? 
It's a good question. Uh, I'm going to say no uh, because, you know, styles make fights and, and, and Jimmy Rivera's style is clearly bad for Uriah Faber. Uh, I think if we go up and down that list, Uriah Faber can beat a lot of those guys on that list still. Um, I think he can beat a Sunsound Caraway. That's it? Uh, in the top five, just saying. In the top five. Okay. So, yeah, I, I still think he's, he's, he's fine. Uh, I think he just met a guy tonight that has his number, a guy that he, whose style he could not figure out and or, and I'm not making excuses for the California kid, break your hand that early in a fight, and he's done it before. Man, it plays mind games. Uh, and and, and his, his aggression level completely went from, oh, boy, to like, oh, no, I can't even use my right hand now, right? Now, I know in the Mike Brown fight, he was just throwing elbows like crazy, and you know we saw what kind of heart he had in the, in the Jose Aldo fight when he got that left leg or thigh and hamstring absolutely annihilated just to mince meat. But uh, I think you're right, Faber still has it. I think he just met a guy that, you know, we're going to be talking a lot about in the very near future. I mean, just that list that you mentioned, now put him, put them all opposite Jimmy Rivera. Jessica Andrade had a coming out party tonight. A lot of people know who Joanne Calderwood was, is. And the way that Joanne Calderwood looked in her last fight, a lot of people were expecting big things out of her. Andrade had no desire to find out what she had, took her down, choked her out. Fantastic performance. This is a girl who used to fight at 135. Now, I'll say this. Most of the women that she fought were really like 125ers, like like Carmouche and Sexton and Pennington. And I can't – I don't know how Pacheco – I mean, Morris is – I, th- I think Sarah Morris is pretty big for that weight class. So, I mean, most of the girls she was fighting were like, she's, she's a good case for a 125 division. She really is. But all of a sudden, she's a top name at 115. She's an option at 115 if somebody falls out of a big fight. She is right up there beating Joanne Calderwood and Jessica Panay back-to-back. Uh, that's something that people need to be taking notice of, Joe. Oh, they are. I think they are. Like you said, this is her coming out party, uh, especially at this weight class. I mean, she's she's doing her thing, and the way she took out, um, you know, JoJo tonight, very very impressive. Um, I, I she does have a bit of work to do, but like you said, if she wants to, if if they call her to step into a big fight, I'd pay attention because she's doing pretty good. And just to go back to Sarah Morris for a second, uh, middle of an interview, you know, she told me, I said, just to clarify your last name, it, it, is it Morris? And she looked at me and she said, no, Joe, it's more ass. Ooh, well, you know, there were some <laughs> rather – there were some – the first interaction I ever had with her. Was, she's awesome, by the way. I, I, yeah, she's incredible. She's a great person. We're pretty much best friends on Twitter, even though I haven't tweeted her in a while. There were a couple of guys that were watching her fight and said, Sarah Morris, more like Sarah more ass. <laughs> And I was somehow involved in that tweet. I didn't say it, but she let us know that she she saw it. <laughs> I'll say that much. <laughs> and that that was very interesting. But she's an angel. She's great. I love Sarah. Have you ever had, you ever had any of her cheesecake? No, I've not. Apparently, she makes the baddest cheesecake ever. It's my so favorite. That's my favorite dessert. I try not eating cheesecake ever. My wife makes a fantastic cheesecake, but you know if she makes it, I'll have a slice, whatever. But uh, we had gotten this big conversation. I don't know what UFC was. It was in Vegas, and uh, even her coaches were like, "Oh yeah, the stuff that Sarah makes is absolutely wow." So the next time I get out to the West Coast, if she's still out there, I'm hitting her up. Like, hey, you making something? Coming over. I'll bring the coffee. Let's yeah. do this. I gotta kiss her ass or something. Remind her of who I am. See if she know- she see if she even remembers me. <laughs> Maybe maybe get you to smuggle some into the country. I don't know how that will work. Is Jessica I done in the UFC, Joe? Uh, yeah, I think lost so. Five, I mean, lost five of six, and technically she has won one of, let's see, seven, one of, I think, eight fights in the UFC. Let's see, one, two, three, four. No, one of seven fights because the Kaufman got overturned. Now, granted, she she beats Eric Kaufman. She's a very pretty active fighter. She fights at least twice a year, but she's lost five of her last six. 
She has lost to Betch Correa, who is not championship caliber, but fought for the title. Sarah McMahon fought for the title. Juliana Pena is going to fight for the title eventually. Misha Tate, former champion. Alexis Davis, another former title contender. And has lost by decision, sometimes close decisions. By the way, this fight sucked. This fight was terrible. Um, did not like it. But perhaps the real headline is, Betch Correa beat somebody that I would say, you know, she's, she's borderline top 15 despite her record. Because Jessica I, you know, she's always like right there in her fights. I mean, people once talked about her fighting Rousey. That, that ain't going to happen anytime soon. I think it was what do you her feel about this whole situation? fight Rousey. Yeah, um, I think it was. Yeah, right? But, I mean, I, I when I was – as the fight – the first round was done, I thought to myself, I was thinking with the whole Rich Franklin, George St. Pierre thing when they're like, oh, oh, she's fighting at home, a lot of pressure. You don't want to make that she mistake. She said as much. Yeah, you don't want to make that mistake and, and lose at home, so you may fight cautious or tentatively. Um, and that's what I felt like she was doing because, in my opinion, Sean, if she had just simply switched a gear and really turned it on, I think she could have knocked out Betch or she could have really hurt Betch and kind of did something completely different than what happened to her tonight because what, what the performance that she had tonight was was seemed very, very cautious. And for you and I talked about this in the last podcast, she needs a win. She needs a win to stay with the Ultimate Fighting Championship. And in order to win – you got to knock somebody out, submit someone, or really become dominant on that scorecard to have three judges say, yeah, you won, even 29-28. Um, she loses by a split decision in a performance that, you know, you could you could make the argument that, you know, maybe she did win. She could have won this fight, but not convincingly. And unfortunately, her career with the UFC could be uh, pretty much done. If I were her, I would go to Invicta. I would fight at 125, and I would start making a public case for 125-pound divisions in the UFC because I think there is plenty of talent for that division. There were a lot of people that were like, oh, they need a 145 or 105 division. No, they do not. There is no talent there. But there, I think, is enough talent to form a solid top 5 to 10 at 125. Now, it's going to dilute the other divisions, but other people will step up. Miocic at the post-fight presser said, I felt Verdum's push kick. I feel bad for Edmund. <laughs> <It's so bad. laughs> uh, Miocic says, I don't remember tapping out. I just remember punching him in the face repeatedly until he was unconscious. Oh, man. Uh, he's turning he says, heel, man. I think he's turning heel. He's great. I love Miocic. <laughs> he says that he will fight on Saturn – if they ask him to, he's the heavyweight champion of the world. Well, that doesn't make him the heavyweight champion of the universe. Why would he fight in Sat- on Saturn? He's That's not smart. Heel, I'm telling you. That's not smart. Verdum says, Miocic said okay to the rematch. I think he loves me. Also Verdum, also, Verdum didn't tell his coaches he was going to do that kick, that flying kick. So imagine, I, I would love to see like corner cam of when he landed that kick. His, his team reacting to that. Really, guys, if you all didn't watch the pay-per-view, it was really one of the most incredible kicks I've ever seen in mixed martial arts history. It was unbelievable. At 39, and for all we said about his physique, Joe, Jesus. That was badass, though. I'm not going to lie to you. And I think, if you, if, I think on UFC Fight Pass, they do have corner cams. So eventually when the fight does get up there, uh, I think they, if I'm not mistaken, they do have corner cams. So I, I could just imagine Master Cordero just going, what, the, what was that? What? Because he, it was actually, like, I mean, I actually ordered the pay per view on Fight Pass tonight, but forgot uh, about that because the place where I went, they're they're cord cutters, so they don't have that. So I ordered it on Fight Pass because our power went out back at home. So hopefully it'll let me play it back. I don't know if I'll have unlimited access to it now. I don't know how that works, but very interesting. On the prelims, not a lot to talk about. Like the Nick Lent beat a guy that he should have beat. And Michael McBride. C.B. Dalloway didn't fight, <laughs> which I won't speak about anymore. Drew Dober beat Jason Gonzalez. He should have won that fight too and did. A couple of well, guys what you that call, beat... What you, said this, you said this show should have been UFC 203 what? Outclassed. Drew Dober versus Jason Gonzalez from the, the minute that fight started. I'm like, 
there is a large skill difference between these two. Oh, yeah. What is happening here, this guy's getting outclassed big time. Drew Dober, um, take nothing away from Jason Gonzalez, who's just you know trying to come up there. This is one of those fights where I'm like, this should not have been put on. There's a big difference here. I also oh, want to say one thing about Brad Tavares, though. Brad Tavares is striking, and his, his technique, I, I've always said Tiago Alves was always one of my favorite strikers in his prime because how he used to bury his head in between his shoulders and his, and his uh, elbows and just come out. You can never hit his chin yeah. sort of thing. Brad Tavares is one of my favorite strikers, man. I love his technique, man. What, about it? what, did, what is it about it that you, that you like? Just it's footwork, the way he's in and out, the way he reacts, the way he understands his, his opponent's timing. And as soon as they start even showing any sort of tendency, he's already gone the other way. I like the way he works his angles. Uh, it's too bad he hasn't able to, to really launch. But even the way when he, when he throws his punches, I just love the way he throws them. I love the way he turns his hip. I love his footwork. I mean, I just, I mean, sure. I know it's a lot of Ray Seffel right there, but it's fantastic. He's won two of three now. Speaking of him, the guy he fought in May of last year, Robert Whitaker. That's one of my favorites. He does that thing that, and I know I bring Gerald Harris up a lot. Gerald Harris would have one hand down, one hand up. And he would do that so he could throw the strike, but get an underhook in really quickly if somebody shot for a takedown. And Robert Whitaker has really mastered that and taken it to a different level. So uh, that's another personal favorite I'd like to throw in there. Also, uh, Whitaker is Whitaker is the way Whitaker holds his body. It's not very square. It's very, it's, it's, he's small. He makes Mm -hmm. himself look small, which you can launch the jab quicker. So yeah, he's a great striker as well, for sure. Now, if he ever faces a guy like, uh, now, Wonder Boy is not at that weight class. But if a Wonder Boy or somebody who goes after the knees, that, that's a bad way to stand. I had, I've had coaches explain that to me. That's a really bad way to stand because that's, that's even more damage. But, uh, yeah, it's just a personal favorite. Also, Yancey Madero's choked out Sean Spencer. Uh, pretty much what I expected. Uh, Miocic versus Overeem got fight of the night. Andraj and Madero's got performance of the night. I'm surprised CM Punk didn't get performance of the night. <laughs> Hashtag facetious. The hell? Or is that sarcasm? He is unknockoutable. So Mickey Gall couldn't knock the guy out. <laughs> he took some pretty rough. Sh- he took some pretty big shots. Oh, huge shot! There was some thunder there, man. That was pretty good by Mickey. And good, good on CM Punk for taking them, though, man. He could have tapped out. Like, like I said earlier on, he could have tapped out. Imagine how many concussions CM Punk has had in his life. A lot. He had a fractured skull yeah. once. Yeah, that's crazy. Hey, let's give props to Madero's though, man. Madero's finished off Spencer in nice fashion, lands that left high kick, and then pounces on him in ruthless fashion to get that choke. So give some love to a, a Hawaiian and slash uh, long lost Diaz brother. Absolutely, uh, good win for him. Got him back on the winning track. Won two of three now. He's also won four of six. So, so that's good. We also have a UFC uh, fight night: Poirier versus Johnson next week. That should be fun. Poirier fighting anybody is fun. Uh, I saw, so, I saw so Michael that. Johnson last night. Michael Johnson uh, was at the venue last night. So uh, he's looking pretty ripped. He's looking pretty good. So I didn't have a chance to talk to him. Obviously, I was on the air, and we were bugging Kamara Usman because I don't know if you've seen Kamara Usman's uh, uh, Instagram, those two idiots, him and Johnson. Oh. The bell rings, and they're still beating the shit of each other. Guys had to step in there. Like when these two guys spar, apparently – uh, and Jay-Z, Cavalcanti was saying the same thing. They're, they're nuts. Like, they're really good friends, but they don't hear the bell. And they keep beating on each other. It's like, stop, guys. So, yeah, it was crazy. Guys, if you haven't been to Fightful, Fightful.com, do that. Go there, register. You get early access to a lot of our podcasts, a lot of columns, a lot of stuff from Vince Russo, Showdown Joe, Matt Riddle. We, we talk pro wrestling, MMA, boxing. We're really ramping up our boxing soon. Uh, so I'm very, or actually we started this week and we had live coverage of the GGG fight, or the triple G fight. I'm not a boxing guy. We got Carlos and Darren for that, but uh, we're going to have coverage of the Canelo fight. We got a lot of cool stuff coming. Lots of features. I republished uh, a feature, a long form feature that I did about the brawl for all since it's been talked about a lot lately, but yeah, we have Matt Riddle on our Thursday podcast. Now showdown Joe Wednesday and post UFC pay-per-view. We have Vince Russo Friday nights, go there and register absolutely free no credit card required you get early access to a ton of stuff now joe i have to ask you 
it seems as if you're running out of time and Jessica Aguilar is going to kick the living shit out of you. Uh, you're aware of this, aren't you? I'm, I've, I watched the show, Joe. I watched Titan FC. She threatened me during the first, uh, what, two shows ago that if I said something again on the air, like while live, that she'll take me in the cage and beat the shit out of me. I said, okay. And then yesterday we started it again. And I said, all right, you know, like I, there's nothing I can do here. That's why you've got, we've got Camaro between you and I. And she still wants to. He took up for you. He took up for you. Yeah. I mean, he took I, I, up for you. she, it was funny because after the show, when she, uh, I was outside talking to uh, one of our operations staff and Jessica comes behind me. She gives me a you know, big hug sort of thing. And then she shakes my hand. I was like, I don't trust you. Don't touch me. You're going <laughs> in for a takedown. You're shorter than me. And then she's like, she laughed off. But yeah, she's, uh, she, she wants to kick my ass, dude. Like, I got to watch out. I, I can't deal with her. By the way, as Fightful grows, we had full live coverage of Titan FC last night. Cage Warriors, Pancrase, all kinds of cool stuff. Our boy David Tease has really really uh, brought a new facet to Fightful.com. We're doing live coverage of everything. I mean, pro wrestling, MMA, boxing now. Fightful.com is the place to get it. Our, our numbers have been very good so far. We're very happy with that. Our podcast numbers keep growing. We have shows every single day of the week now, and usually on weekends. Joe, we're going to be busy people through most of these weekends. I have to schedule my honeymoon at some point, so i got to try to target late October maybe. Isn't there a UFC event on every single weekend until the end of 2016? Except for two in late October. So what I'm trying to do. (laughs) Yes. And I don't like to leave the site anyway. I don't like to leave the site anyway because then I have to bring on an interim editor. And I like to be hands-on everything. I like – I love this job. It was so funny when James asked me when he hired, how much time can you devote to this? And I'm like, well, it would be an easier question to – Ask me how much I can't devote to it because I'm always plugged in. But last weekend was a nice weekend off, getting married and all that stuff. And I figured, you know what? I probably need to do that for the honeymoon. So we're going to Orlando for a couple, for a couple days. But then we're going to do like a second part honeymoon because that's kind of short. So we're just going to into the mountains in Tennessee maybe the weekend after that with, with uh, her family, with her uh, sister-in-law, brother-in-law. Well, my sister-in-law, brother-in-law. But, um, yeah, so those might, those two weekends are really all we got, Joe. Otherwise, we're around. It's never going to end. And for those uh, that are watching right now and that follow Sean and I on, on social media, I may have some uh, big news uh, for my own career coming up. Uh, yeah, we'll see. I'm just, uh, I literally got the phone call uh, when I landed uh, here today. So we're you fighting uh, punk? No, God, no, no. He'll kill me. He'll beat the shit out of me. I'd, I'd, I'd fight him. I, no, oh, why not? Hell, I would too. <laughs> you gonna fight Edmund? No, I'm not gonna fight Edmund. But I'll have why? some good. I'll have some good news uh, shortly. Uh, we're just in quick negotiations. It's got to be done by tomorrow, uh, which is today actually. And then uh, just check out Sean's uh, Twitter, my Twitter, our social media. Could be on our next podcast. Maybe I'll make the announcement there. We'll see. But. Uh, or there may be nothing if I'm not happy. Yeah. Hey, I've been there before. Guys, when we were negotiating with Matt Riddle, I jumped the gun. And I was like, oh, we got a big announcement coming. And it didn't come for like two and a half weeks. But uh, fortunately, we, we got that all ironed out. So yeah, guys, our podcast schedule. We're going to revamp our podcast page. We're going to revamp our forums page. Register at Fightful.com. Access to those. We're going to make these some of the most user-friendly forums, period. Uh, I know you all like those daily threads I was putting up, but we're going to do the forums uh, to kind of take over that. We want it to be like, like, like Sherdog for wrestling and MMA and boxing and video games, all that stuff. You're going to be able to talk about anything you want. Joe, you have been on the road or in the air, rather. By the way, guys, follow at Fightful Online on Twitter and Facebook, as always. Anything you want to tell these people before we go? Any final words about this show and about one CM Punk? Uh, not much. Just other than the same thing I said before. Congratulations to him, although it was the worst nightmare he could have possibly had. Props and you know for having the balls to step in there on this massive stage. Good for him. I, I personally don't want to see him back in the UFC. I want to see if he wants to continue to actually build it up. Uh, you know, hey, Titan uh, might be interested, and uh, you know, then there's also Jessica. If she gets cut. We have a new champion at tight at 135 pounds, and she wants that title. 
she can come down and give it a shot against Kalindra Faria. So I'd love to see that fight for sure. Yeah, uh, Kalindra, man, she's good. Also, how much money do you think CM Punk would offer Bellator? Or how much money do you think Bellator would offer CM Punk if he were to leave UFC? That's a good question. I could have put a number on it, but you got to figure six digits there. Oh, easily. And they would probably give him an 0-0 fighter. I mean, they have 0-0 fighters on their prelims all the time. Guys, until next time, Fightful.com is the place to be. I am back tomorrow night after uh, WWE Backlash, I believe, with Alex Palowski. I haven't cleared that with him, but otherwise, it might just be me. Who knows? Uh, We have Fightful staff picks up, uh, predictions for the show for tonight's UFC 203. Check out how we did. We have features going up all the time, exclusives up all the time on Fightful.com, stuff you can only hear from us. We interviewed CM Punk, Daniel Cormier, Chael Sonnen, EC3. Uh, I've got one coming up with Muhammad Hassan. I keep plugging. We're going to put it out soon. Got to wait until all this kind of dies down. Fightful.com is the place to be at Fightful Online on Twitter and Facebook. Guys, thank you so much. Until tomorrow night, we are out. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.